my opinion is that the goal of your spiritual journey that you're on is not for you to become a better person, but for you to become a whole person. Eric mentioned that I have Bethany roots uh, in the 2000s. You know, there was a lot of black eyed peas going on then. Uh, I graduated from Western Washington. I spent a year working, went overseas for a bit, came back, found myself uh, working here, figuring out my life. But I knew I wanted to dedicate myself to the practice of being an artist. And I didn't know where to do that. And I was praying for a space. And there used to be a building over here before this uh, nice new one. And uh, there was a little attic and they Bethany gave uh, artists a space there. There's just one artist at a time. And Kristen was leaving and, and a, another friend was like, hey, the space is opening up. You want to take it? And I was like, yeah. And so I began uh, uh, my art practice in that attic space. And so Bethany was like a place. And I didn't even go to this church. And I just like used it. And then I was like, maybe I should stick around. And then uh, met some other artists and stuff. So this community was very formative and in my uh, now humble career. So it's glad it feels like a bit of a homecoming. Uh, I want to do something together. Uh, as an artist, I thought we should look at a lot of art. And I want to do, uh, I want to start off by contemplating and looking at this image right here. Um, there's a series of images. Um, and this is a bit of like a visual call to worship, like a visual call to presence. But I want you to just look at uh, these nine illustrations and which one represents you in this moment the most? Which one, which one is calling to you? You're like, yep, that's me right now. I was told to have low expectations of the eight o'clock service, but for you, I have lots. Is anybody bold enough to just go, hey, I'm this, you don't have to go, we don't need you to have a long therapy session with us, but just curious, like, would you just say, is there one that stands out to you? One that you resonate with? Anybody willing to just yell that out? Yeah. The one that's about to flip over? Yeah. Yes. You don't have to raise your hand. Just yell it out. Uh, with all the fireworks and stuff? I knew, I, I can see that you're a party over there. Yeah. Who else? Yeah. One with a flat tire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder how many uh, flat tires are in this room and celebrations. I mean, you should spend some time with this while I, I, I uh, allude to what's happening. What is happening right now? Uh, one of, there's, there's a lot of functions of art, but I think one of the interesting functions of art is that it becomes a bit of an excavation tool for us. Excavation tool. I'd like to submit to you that what prayer is, is that prayer is the ongoing, ever-present, interior conversation that's happening in you right now about that you're, the conversation you're having with existence or the giver of that existence. Um, that's what prayer is. The words we use, the songs we sing, the images we show, they're just excavation tools to help us to get to that deep, deep prayer. This is like why you're in your car and you turn on the radio and a song comes on and you're like, oh, this is my song. What are you saying there? What you're saying is somehow sonically and lyrically, the artists perfectly describe what it feels like to be in your own skin right now. 
And that song is helping you become honest with what it's like to be you, the honesty of what it feels like to be here. And it becomes a vehicle to approach God with. Prayer is something that's already happening inside of us. The prayers that we have are just excavation tools to help us to get to those prayers. And what's interesting about when we use excavation tools like this is that often we find that we're not just talking about our successes, although we have moments of joy and gratefulness and all of that, but we also have moments where we feel very vulnerable in the world. Where something that is not, that we're not in control of, something happened to us, something unforeseen came into our lives and we're really familiar with our weaknesses or our limitations. And what, you can go to the next slide, what vulnerability is, is vulnerability isn't necessarily those weaknesses or those limitations. What vulnerability is your, is it's your relationship with those weaknesses. How do you feel about having them? Is it something you hide away from? Is it something you're ashamed of? Or is it something that you've invited to the dinner table of your life and said, you know what, you're a part of this too. And that it can become a way that you find connection. A human life is just that. It's a human life. And our human lives are uh, are filled with limitations and weaknesses. We've all come up across them. We also have tremendous power and strength and things we could, we can do things we could never imagine. A human life is full of those things. But a spiritual life, well, a spiritual life can go a few different directions. There's one path to walk, which a spiritual life becomes, uh, the, the trying to solve the reality of your vulnerabilities with obsession, with perfection constantly trying to be perfect, constantly trying to not have any weaknesses. You can have a spiritual life like that. It leads to self-destruction, but you can do it for a really long time. Or there can be a spiritual life that you can have, a spiritual journey that you can walk where you understand that your weaknesses, your limitations, your vulnerable conversations are a part of what's forming in you that they're at the table of your life, that they actually become the ways that you connect with each other and the world and God. Vulnerability becomes the doorway to receive grace. Uh, a number of years ago, you may remember, I won't get real specific about a certain kind of election. There was an election. We, as a country, went through an elective process and it was pretty divisive and exhausting. And then at the time, we were also seeing images of Syria and destruction and displacement. And uh, there was the Zika virus. There was all these, there was a virus before this virus. There was all these kinds of things. And then Christmas happened. It, like, I didn't even realize Christmas happened because it was happening in November. But like, you know, you walk into a store and you're like, oh yeah, Christmas, right? And I love Christmas. I'm in for it. I love all the songs. I love the nog. I love the the tinsel. I love all the decorations. I'm the kind of weirdo. When I lived in the Northwest, I live in Austin now, but when I live, I leave my Christmas lights up till February because I think it's a way to deal with our seasonal depression. Like it just makes it the darkness so much grander, right? It's great to have lights up. But this particular season, I was like, man, none of this feels like it has anything to do with the world I find myself in. It, feel, it felt like actually all of this Christmas celebration just had to do with some other people in some other land. And it actually had nothing to say to a world that was hurting. 
and not even just in like the overly done Santa story. I'm even talking about in all the Christian representation. It looked like these sanitized stories of like perfect people and all these things. It just, it didn't seem like it's something that was ever a part of our real reality, just some kind of fairy tale that happened back then. And look, I'm not a woman, but I'm married to one. And I've witnessed three pregnancies and three childbirths. And at the time we were in our third pregnancy, third birth. And like, yeah, pregnancy, as Candace can attest, it's, you know, beautiful and wonderful and transformation. Oh, great. But it's also like risky and vulnerable. And there's a lot of heartburn and a lot of fluids that we don't really talk about. And nor should we all the time because it's not fun at a dinner table. But like I started to see this Christmas story going, wow, like, Jesus incarnated in the world in the same way that we all did, which is through the vulnerability of being a human being. And my question at the time was like, is Jesus still incarnating in the world? Is Christmas a memorial service or is it a birthday party? Is it something that happened long ago? And we're like, oh, long, remember? Oh, so fun. Remember back then? Oh, it was great. It was long ago. Or is it happening right now? And if you ask any of the kids over in Sunday school and you say, whose birthday is it? They'll go, Jesus. And they're right. It's a birthday party. So if it's a birthday party, how is it happening right now? Is Christ still incarnating in our midst? And where do we find that? My meditations and my submission to you this morning, and I put this all together in a book called Honest Advent, is that Christ is still incarnating into our world through the same way he incarnated in the world back then, which is through human vulnerability. And so th- this whole series, this Becoming Human series is based on kind of this. And and uh, as a visual artist, I knew that I needed to sidestep the juggernaut of content and branding that has been associated with Christmas. You know, like we know there's red and green and all of these things and certain kind of songs and certain kind of feels and all that stuff. And all of that's invented. It's a great invention, but it's all invented. And so I knew that as a designer, as an artist, I was like, I want to try to sidestep that and come up with a different visual vocabulary so that I can reawaken the wonder of Christ incarnating now. And so this morning, I just want to show you four images that are based off um, the life of Mary. Uh, throughout this series, you're going to be focused on different things. But this morning, we're going to look at Mary because she was asked to do something very specific. But in her specificity, back then we can see that we're invited to similar things right now. It's not a story that just happened back then. It's a story that's happening right now. So this isn't a time for me to like have all my lines memorized and stuff. We're going to do like a bit of an art class. We're just going to look at some art and talk about it and see what happens. Okay. Sound good? Here we go. No. Okay. I'll leave. Um, No, we're going to do it whether you want to or not. Here's this image. This is called Annunciation. I think, um, I think all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, secretly hope that sometime in our life we would have an angel story. <laughs> Do you have a friend who's like told you that they had an angel story and inwardly you move them from one idea about them to another idea? And <laughs> you're like, oh, you've seen an angel? Okay. Right? You know, when people say like, I've seen an angel, you're like, uh huh. Yeah. Great. Um, cool angels. But like, yeah, like, don't we all kind of wish that some kind of hidden 
spiritual reality would break into this material reality. Like it would become the story you talked about or other people always talk to you about, right? Like maybe one time you were in a, a drive through Starbucks line and you were about to order, but then somehow an angelic voice came through the intercom system and told you secrets and, and like what you needed to do with your life. And you're like, Oh my gosh, is this my angel story right now? Or say you were like walking in the woods and then a bear showed up and you're like, I'm going to die. And then the bear started speaking to you. It's like Balaam's donkey, but it's like Barry's bear. And you're like, it's happening right now. Bears talking to me. This is my angel story. Or like maybe this thing happened to you. And every time you go to a party, your friend is like, dude, tell him the story about like when you got in that accident but you woke up on the ground and you didn't have any wounds on you and somebody was picking you up and then they like spoke to you about your future and then you turned around and you're like I can tell the story and you're like no I want to tell it and then you're like you turned around and then and then you looked and the fire trucks coming and you turned around and they were gone and you were like it's an angel oh and everybody would always tell that story that would be the story you always told it would be awesome to Mary has an angel story you know what I'm saying <laughs> the weirdo she's like I, an angel came and talked to me one time. It would be amazing. Although I would like to offer that maybe a divine revelation is much more complicated. It would be amazing, but it would also mean that all of a sudden everything in your life is now going to change. Everything's going to change and you don't have any say in that. Maybe change sounds really inviting for some of you. Some of you are like, God, I could use a change right now. Man, I would love to be in a different situation than I'm at right now. But the thing about change, the thing about transformation is that often it's, it's the places that are going to get transformed are the places you don't get to be in charge of. Change, transformation, divine revelation often changes the places that you don't get to decide. Like we can look at Mary and go, yeah, you had a really specific story, but you know, we can see some of the changes that happened to her expectations about how her life was going to turn out. What, you know, what was the name of what did she always dreamed to name her first kid? How did she think her marriage was going to go her wedding? How did she think the community was going to think about her, her entire lives? Divine revelation comes with a cost. And that cost is going to cost you everything about how you thought your life was going to turn out, your best laid plans. But we can see also that she was the kind of woman and there have been people all throughout time that those people who say yes to a divine revelation, it changes them, yes, irrevocably, but we still are telling their stories today. Mary was asked to do a specific thing and probably most of us here, if not all of us, are not going to be asked to incarnate God in through our womb. But maybe we are receiving a divine revelation already. Maybe it's much more of a whisper. It doesn't say how the angel said it. You know, I think we imagine like, ah, angels, but maybe, maybe the angel is just like, hey, you're going to have a kid. You know, like... Holy Spirit's going to come on you and you're going to have a kid. Because maybe you've heard that voice where it says, when are you going to forgive that person? I know you don't want to, but things will change when you do. You'll change. Maybe you've heard that whisper that says, I don't think you should give up on yourself right yet. 
you're not over. You're not done. Maybe you've heard that whisper that says, come and find me in the world. I'm hiding out in everybody you can meet. Do you want to find me? What kind of divine revelation is coming to you already? What kind of change wants to happen? Let's go to the next image. Uh, This is a scene that did not happen in the Bible. Uh, (laughs) We have Eve on one side and Mary on the other. I first, this is actually like a cover, a copy of um, an original drawing done by Sister Grace Remington, who's a sister in Missouri in a small community there. Um, I first witnessed this image. Her image is very much more colorful. It's in colored pencil. I witnessed this image for, for the first time in my friend's bathroom in Atlanta. And I was in the bathroom for like a really long time. So much so I think they were like, are you okay in there? Do you need some? I was like, what is this? picture about and it's amazing and i contacted her and we've talked and she's like yeah i i did this cover for a christmas eve service and she's like i love it please use it so it's great we're all good with that um but it's great you know it's uh it's got a lot of theological ideas going on and stuff like that but what i love about it what first hit me was like it seems like you know they're at this like a cosmic heavenly party you know and like they've never met before. And their friends are like, wait, you've never met Eve? You've never met Mary? You're like the mother of mothers. Come on. And they're like, hey, hey, me, er, me, uh, Mary, Eve, Eve, Mary, right? And they're just like, oh, cool. I've heard lots about you. And, blah, blah, blah. and then they look on, they're like, oh, we have like 5 billion mutual friends on Facebook. Okay, cool. Uh, it's about time we met, right? And it's wonderful. And you can see on the faces that, yes, in this moment, what Mary is doing is grabbing Eve's hand and placing it on her belly and being like, you know, that thing you went through and that thing, that curse that descended upon us. Yeah. Here's the solution to that. You were told way back then, but it's happening right now. Right. That's all that's happening in this picture. And I love it. But what caught me when I saw this picture was also that Mary, maybe Eve placed her hand on the belly and Mary put her hand on it. And Eve was also like, Hey, Mary, being a mom is a tremendous privilege and gift, but it's also a risk because sometimes you lose your kids too early. These are both moms that lost their kids too early. It's a tremendous risk to love something, to try to bring something into the world it's a tremendous risk to, to participate in life. And I know there are people in this room, I know there are specifically women in this room who've tried to have kids and they can't. Couples that have tried and it's not possible. People who want to and they're like, is that ever gonna happen for me? There are parents in this room that are like, can I just get a babysitter at least, <laughs> right? And, and it's not just in the form of being a parent and stuff, but it's a tremendous risk to just love. And care. Are we not? If John, if John said, God is love, are we not a community that is a community of love? Are we not a congregation of people who are saying, I accept the risk of love? Surely your hearts have been broken. Surely you've lost something here. 
And you're telling me you haven't felt the temptation like I did, like Mary and Eve probably did to turn off and shut down and not keep that doorway of love open. It's incredibly hard to keep loving. It's incredibly hard to risk that. But this is what, like if we can look at these two matriarchs of faith, you know, I think the story of Eve has been taken over by male chauvinists because we don't talk about her very much and there's not much about her. But in the flannel graph story of her life, all we know is that she ate the apple first and then she was the first one cursed to have childbirth, right? And that's it. That's all she gets. But what we never talk about is how tremendously hard it is to do something for the first time. If the story, if it's, you know, it's a poem, but if you want to think literally, great, whatever, that's not the point. But if it's true, then like, she didn't have a mom, she didn't have a grandma, she didn't have fancy mommy blogs to tell her how to do something. It's incredibly hard to try to do something for the first time. It's what love is like. Love feels like doing something for the first time. It feels vulnerable and risky and scary, but you want to try it. I'm not a mother, I'm a dad, and that's a different kind of dynamic. But I know that there's this great cloud of witnesses of mothers who've lost their kids too early and they're worldwide and it's a particular pain and a particular wisdom. But I think we all can share in the experience of what it, what it is to take the risk to love, to stay open to love. What? What does it mean to stay open to love? It's not something that's happening back then. It's, it's still happening right now. Next slide. It's time now for story time with Scott the Painter. Hi, kids. Uh, glad to be with you this morning. Uh, want to take the time, please stay in your seats, but want to take the time to do a little story time. I'm going to read out of my book, Honest Advent. Just follow along. It's great to be with you. This chapter is called Assumptions. I can show you the picture. Here it is. Here's the picture. Assumptions. It's assumed that Mary rode on a donkey, but the Bible doesn't say she did. It's assumed there was an innkeeper, but it doesn't mention one anywhere. It's assumed that there were three magi, but it doesn't uh, give the number of those who showed up. It's assumed there was a star overhead when Jesus was born, but it doesn't say that either. It's assumed that Jesus was born in a stable, but all it says is he was laid in a manger and that could have been in any number of places. Christmas comes with many assumptions, some helpful and some not so much. Spirituality also comes with many assumptions, and the one that, ones that fail us are the ones we make about what it's supposed to look like, who is worthy for it to happen to, and what kind of outcome it's supposed to have for us. Assumptions like, you should be more than you are now to be pleasing to God. Your weaknesses are in the way of God's plan for your life. Your lack of religious fervor is a disqualifier for divine participation. You're probably not doing it right. Other spiritual people have something you don't have. Our assumptions hinder our spiritual journey in all kinds of ways. And the antidote to assumption is surprise. 
The surprise of Christ's incarnation is that it happened in Mary's day as it is happening every day in your lack of resources, your overcrowded lodging, your unlit night sky, your humble surroundings. It's a surprise that life can come through barren places. It's a surprise that meek nobodies partake in divine plans. It's a surprise that messengers are sent all along the hidden journey of life to let you know that you're not alone. It's a surprise that you will be given everything you need to accomplish what you've been asked to do. It's a surprise that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from love. Your assumptions believe there must be something that can, but surprise, nothing can. May you thank God with joyful surprise at how much you have assumed incorrectly. Next slide. Uh, when my second daughter was born, her name is Elsa, named before the movie Frozen. She, uh, our first couple births were kind of complicated. My, my oldest was Frank Breach, which means he'd never turned. He was upright and he had one leg going up over his head. And so you can't easily come out that way. So my wife had a C-section for her first birth, but our next Pregnancy, she wanted to have a natural birth, and it's called a VBAC, vaginal birth after cesarean. And so uh, we were monitoring it, and the doctor's like, it's all good, but like, we don't need to get into all the details, but there was like fluid slowly coming out, all this kind of stuff. So we kept going to the hospital. They kept sending us home. It was like three days of this. We were really exhausted. Finally, they admitted us. And finally, we were there. It took a long time for her to come. But when she was coming, I was uh, like, <laughs> I was like holding my wife's hand and her other leg like up like this. And I'm watching the head crown and I'm watching the doctor. And then he's like, okay, one big push. He's like, push. And I was like, Ooh! and then this like, kind of, it does this, I don't, if you've ever seen it, it's kind of like a turn. It's like a whoop and then it comes right. And then there she was. And I looked over at Holly and then we both just burst into tears. Like it was so involuntary. Like it was all the societal and, and like cultural norms of holding it together. It just, I couldn't handle it. It just, something broke in me. It just burst into tears. Both of us just, <laughs> and there she was, there she was. Because like to move, like something happened, something broke in us. Maybe you've witnessed a birth and if you have that probably happened to you, but like we've all kind of experienced some kind of breaking, right? Where something, we witness something or we participate in something and something in us like just breaks open and it feels good. Not like a bad breaking, but like, you know, when somebody cracks your back, you're like, oh, it feels a lot better, right? Or like what kind of, you know, you you witness something and you're like, you got to come see this. Or like, have you ever had something so good that you're like, I got to share this with everybody. You have to have this, right? It's like something breaks in you and you're like, it's, it's something that is meant not to divide us, but something to unite us. You're like, come, look, something's happening. Come together. Do you see what's happening? I wonder what broke in the room for Mary and Joseph. I wonder what broke in the room for Mary and Joseph. And I would like to imagine that probably tears did because that happens to parents. But like also maybe what happened is the breaking between ideology and participation. Mary and Joseph lived in a world just like ours, which is filled with lots of theological ideas, 
layers and layers and layers of ideas about how it's going to happen. For them, it was like, what's the Messiah going to be like? How is it going to turn out? How's it all going to happen? When are the end times? There's a book up series about that. You know what I'm saying? All this stuff about how it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. And then boom, went from ideas to I'm holding it in my hands. Here it is. It's happening right now. And something breaks in you when you move from ideology ideology to participation. Don't get me wrong. I love some good ideas. But ideology is fun because you can insulate yourself from having to participate. Participation is very different. It's like we talked about love, risking. But also something happens to you in that moment when you're holding it, when you have your hands on something, you're like, I didn't. I never had these, This what's happening right now? This is what I've been longing for. I want to participate. My assumption is that if you have any hope or desire for Advent, is that you don't need more ideas, is that you would like to participate in how Christ is incarnating in the world now. And I will say that this is a story that happened back then. I can't present to you the newborn king in a form of a baby. That did happen back then. But maybe the place that we can participate with that Christ who's still incarnating is in the places that Christ cares about. Like the hearts and lives of people. The systems that get created in this world that take away the dignity from people that cause injustice the systems and establishments that get in the way of people knowing God. You can't know God. You're out. You're not in. That's what Christ came to. He very much spoke against that. He very much opposed that. Maybe the places that we can participate with how Christ is coming in our midst is in the things he cares about. And then when we put our hands in those situations, we're like, oh, it's not just happening. It is, ha- it is happening right now. I see it. I'm participating. My hope for you this Advent is that this isn't just a story back then, but it's a story happening right now. And just like back then, it's a complicated time. There's striving countries. There's political unrest. There's massive upheaval of the way things worked. It's not that different. I think we deep, I, my hope is that you would find Christ in your midst, that your longing would be the star that's leading you forward, that you would be somebody who um, gets to have an angel story. <laughs> please email me about it. And if it's a bear, please email me about it. That you're somebody who's invited to love. That maybe you're somebody who's like, man, I assumed incorrectly and I am very surprised how this all is happening. And that you too would be one who's not just knows the ideas, but is one who is familiar with what it means to participate with Christ's incarnation. Let's pray. God, giver of our lives, giver of your son, giver of love. We... Maybe maybe we were forced by a friend to be here, but you know, we're here. And I would like on behalf of all of us to say our deepest longing is to know you, not just with ideas, but in participation. We want to know you with the participation of our lives. We ask that you would honor that. Help us find us in your midst. We wait for you this Advent. In your name, amen. <laughs>